Welcome to another episode of Problem Busters. I'm your host, Oliver, and I'm here with the Honourable Jonathan. Hello, Jonathan. How are you? Hello, Ollie. I am well, thank you. I'm loving this streak of being called Honourable. Uh, I think that's two for two now, so <laughs> I'm, in a, I'm in a very good mood. I'm in a very good mood. Um, speaking of good moods... So today we have a guest with us. Um, we have Candice Gasper. <laughs> Candice is an urban farmer um, with a background in environmental science and agriculture. Um, she's based in Baltimore, USA. And in September last year, Candice started her own farm called Valley Mill Microgreens. So she's brand new and a brand new business and it's super exciting. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm really excited. Oh, it's it's really cool to have you on. And uh, um, first of all, it's not very often you get to talk to a farmer. Secondly, it's not very often you get to talk to someone who's so early in a really exciting new venture. And and like the enthusiasm when we've talked previously that you've got for it is just it's really infectious. So I think that's that's really inspiring. Cool. So what we usually do is we start off with a bit about you. So do you want to give us the the lowdown on Candice and then and then how you ended up. Um, making your way to having this business? Sure. So I grew up where I live now, and I always was really interested in nature and the outdoors and spent a lot of time outside. So naturally, I chose environmental science and geology for my degree when I went to school. And after graduating, I spent some time in the corporate world um, pursuing uh, a sales career in environmental consulting and green construction, which was really exciting and fun for a little while. But after about 10 years, I started to not really like sitting at a desk all day anymore. Um, I started to wonder if there was something more that I could feel more passionate about in my day-to-day -day work and feel like I was making a difference. Um, so I started volunteering my free time at my neighborhood farmer's market. I just always loved going to farmer's markets on the weekends. And if I traveled somewhere else, I would make a point to go visit farmer's markets in different countries and different states. Uh, I just think that they have the best energy and it's just so cool to be able to talk to farmers. It's really the only place that people that live in cities can meet farmers um, since most of them live outside of the city. So I was volunteering there. I ended up volunteering also at an urban farm in Washington, D.C. Uh, I learned a lot there. The farm that I worked at there was located in a low-income neighborhood. So I learned a lot about um, food justice and food inequity and access to nutrient-dense foods and how that affects different populations of people, which I thought was a very interesting problem that needs to be solved and addressed. Um, and I just felt such a fire burning um, when I was in that space and I loved learning and there was just so much to learn, so much to see and just getting to work with my hands and move my body and not be sitting in front of a spreadsheet all day was absolutely a treat. And um, so at this time, I'm working at a full-time work from home corporate sales job and I had a lot of freedom with my time. 
so let's just say I could get my work done in about 20 hours a week for a full-time job. And I decided to secretly get a part-time job at an urban farm in Washington, D.C. It was my first paid farming experience, entry-level farmhand. And it was actually a microgreens farm, and it was a woman-owned microgreens farm. And when I got there, it was just amazing to me to see these women with engineering backgrounds working in agriculture and building this business from scratch, and they really weren't that much older than me. So it was a really formative experience to be able to to be in that environment and learn from them. And I just felt so fired up and excited and I wanted to do it full time. But at the time, it was so daunting to think about giving up the salary that I had in the corporate world. And I'm living in an expensive city. Um, I've gotten used to a certain lifestyle, but I like am so driven to pursue my passion that I have to figure out a way to live on a much smaller scale, uh, salary. So I ended up losing the sales job. I got laid off. Um, I was kind of anticipating it. Um, I had been saving a lot of money kind of knowing that I was going to make this career transition. And um, about a month after that, I got my first full-time farm job as a greenhouse supervisor at a huge hydroponic indoor lettuce and basil operation in Baltimore. It was very cool, very high tech. What is hydroponics, just for those who don't know? Sure, great question. So most people, when they think about how vegetables grow, they think about plants growing out of the ground in soil. Hydroponics takes the plant out of the soil. And there's pros and cons to that. So hydroponic plants are usually grown in a sterile medium like coconut choir or uh, peat moss, where there's less likely to be microbes that could make the plant sick. So you just add the nutrients that would be in the soil via watering the plant. So you'll add your nitrogen, phosphorus, and calcium um, as a liquid form when you water the plant. Um, Like I said, there's pros and cons. There's uh, many arguments about whether those plants have nutrient density compared to a plant that's grown in nutrient-rich soil. But yeah, it was cool. I mean, it was basically a lettuce and basil warehouse and we just pumped them out and we sold to uh, grocery stores all over the country. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Is, it, is there a limitation to what you can grow hydroponically? Um, I, I would say it's probably going to be limited to non-woody vegetables and herbs, but don't quote me on that. Oh. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if, if you could grow like a shrub or a tree hydroponically. I, I'm really not sure. Oh, That's yeah. all right. You don't have to be the expert on growing shrubbery yeah, um, yeah. in a water medium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, it just a thought in my head. I was like, huh, that's, that's quite cool. Yeah. So I stayed there for about a year and I learned how to be a manager and I learned uh, what it was like to work in a large scale production facility. I definitely learned that it's not for me to be operating at that big of a scale. And I kind of just went back to my roots of working on small farms and um, started my own farm about seven months ago in September of 2021 in a 300 square foot shed behind my home. And I purchased a bunch of LED lights and racks and bought a bunch of seeds and soil. And now I grow microgreens for 
restaurants in the Baltimore region. And this weekend, I'm starting a farmer's market that is two days a week. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> how, does, how does it feel to, to have got to that stage? Um, it's the best feeling I've ever had in my life. Um, I don't have children, but I kind of feel like maybe it's this like overwhelming sense of pride that I was able to get here. Like, I don't know. I, I just feel like this love and pride. And I imagine maybe, maybe as a parent, you might feel that way about children. <laughs> but yeah, I, um, it was a lot and it took a lot of baby steps and, and I didn't think that it would be possible, but I'm here and hopefully one day I'll be profitable. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I've always really admired people who can kind of step outside of the box and pursue their dreams in spite of challenges. And so um, if anything, I hope that anyone listening who's considering doing something creative that might not necessarily have that steady comfort of a paycheck attached to it would choose their passion over anything. Good advice. Good yeah. advice. And you said you said that you know that that moment of when you were earning the corporate wage and you were thinking, um, I'd really like to go and do my own thing, but I kind of can't afford to do it. How, looking back on it now, what would you say to yourself, looking at that salary and thinking, I can't live without this? You know. Oh my gosh, I I probably would have told myself to save more money, <laughs> but. I think it's kind of helped me appreciate the things that I have a lot more now that I can't just kind of mindlessly spend money like on, on things or vacations or things like that. I haven't been on a vacation in a very long time, but I think the next time I go, I'll be very, I'll be much more grateful for it than I was mm. before. Uh, mm. Yeah. You're totally a lot of perspective. Yeah. And why microgreens and what are microgreens? Microgreens are very cool. So basically microgreens are vegetables and herbs that you grow on a tray and you just harvest them really, really young. Um, they are typically seen as a garnish on dishes. And I love that about them because, because hang on, um, I, I love microgreens because they can be added to any dish and you can kind of sneak them into any meal that you would normally eat and get nutrient density in your in your diet and it's a little bit less daunting like if you are somebody who doesn't really eat healthy and you want to start eating healthy cooking a beet for the first time can kind of be intimidating like what do I do with this uh, so microgreens are kind of a way to sneak in nutrients into your food by maybe adding them on top of a salad or into a smoothie on a sandwich on a taco literally anything and they're packed full of flavor too and the texture's great um but because the plants are so small the nutrients are condensed into them for example broccoli microgreen has 40 percent more nutrient density than the full-size version of the plant so a little goes a long way in terms of flavor and vitamins so i always call microgreens nature's multivitamin Oh, that's so cool. I never realized that, Jonathan. Yeah, me neither. That is actually a, a smaller package has a bigger punch, <laughs> which is pretty cool. <laughs> that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So in terms of um, of microgreens, 
um what what do you what, what do you need to to start growing them that's the cool thing about them really anybody can grow them even if you're living in an apartment you don't need fancy lights or anything like that maybe just a sunny windowsill and i've seen people grow microgreens with old deli containers you know from a yogurt or something that they had previously purchased at the grocery store you just need a container some water some soil and some seeds um, and you just kind of need to check on them every day. You just leave the seeds on the soil in a dark place until they start to sprout. And then you can move them to a sunny place. Uh, once they get about two inches tall, you can harvest them and add them on top of your favorite dish. Wow. So is, is, is that what we would call urban, urban farming? Or, or could, you, could you let us know what urban farming is and, and why sure. it's so important? Urban farming to me is really cool because it just allows people who live in the cities to be more connected with their food. Like if you think about a typical person living in the city, they may not have a car because they have access to public transportation. So they're not really going out to the rural areas to meet their farmers unless they're going to a farmer's market. That might be the only interaction that they have, but maybe they live next door to an urban farm and they can buy directly from them. And that's just cool because for me, it was like just neat to see my peers and people who were like me that were doing this for a living. And it was it was kind of right down the street instead of having to live out in the middle of nowhere. Another benefit of it is it really cuts down on carbon emissions um, to transport food since it's already located in the city instead of having to truck food in from the countryside into the city. Um, but I think the relationship component is almost just as important as as the carbon footprint component, because I mean, there's really nothing cooler than having a relationship with a farmer. Yeah. Yeah. Just going to markets or going to craft fairs and, and just, I just find myself standing talking to people who make stuff because I think they're awesome. Yeah, me too. And I wonder if we just, in our sort of mass produced world, if we're just kind of craving getting closer to the way that things are created and made because we're so far removed from it and everything comes in a plastic bag, you know? Yeah, I certainly feel that way. I think there was, there was a lot of like, I don't know what word to use. There's a lot of healing and growing because it teaches you patience and um, to not be afraid of failure because I mean, 50% of plants that I plant will die or anybody, you know, I mean, plants die. That's just part of life. So every time that happens, I learn a little bit more about how to better care for them. And um, I don't know, I feel like it's just kind of made me feel more connected to life in general. Yeah. Hmm. Do and you feel also, like, thank you for saying that because 50% of my plants definitely die. <laughs> <laughs> I feel really bad about it. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> Sorry, Jonathan. Uh, no, I was just—I was just about to to um, to, to um, sort of go off on a bit of a tangent. <laughs> no, <way. laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's fine. I was—I was, um, was thinking about um, the quality of food, right, and the quality of food that's readily available not being um, great. Um, I mean, in certain in certain instances, it may be improving, um, but that could be due to things such as like urban farming and 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 the the drive towards fresh produce 
Um, what are your thoughts on that, on, on um, the quality of and standard of food today, um, where you are, where you've been, um, and um, accessibility of fresh ingredients? Sure. I, I definitely think there's been a lot of studies out there about decreasing nutritional value of fruits and vegetables, which is really interesting. Um, and to me, I, I really wonder if it has to do with the soil quality deteriorating after so many years of planting things over and over again. Like, for instance, in California, where most of our vegetables are produced, uh, they have three growing seasons and there's no break in between. There's no cover crops. Um, cover crops, for anybody who doesn't know, is something that you can plant on your field if you're growing outdoors uh, in between seasons. And they're plants that will extract nitrogen from the atmosphere and return it to the soil to feed the soil. So if you plant a cover crop in the fall and then in the springtime you till that plant back into the soil, you're actually fertilizing the soil, but with plants. And since the plants are rooting, it holds the soil, the topsoil in place so that it doesn't wash away. And so that in turn will feed the next season's plants. But when you're mass producing on a large scale, you really can't afford to take a, a break in the growing season to do that. Um, and the resulting product is a like a vegetable that doesn't have as much nutrient density because the soil doesn't have as much nutrient density. And I think it's a very interesting correlation too, to think about like our gut microbiomes and what's happening to our soil microbiomes. And I just, I just kind of feel like there might be a connection there. Yeah. That, that's yeah, quite think... interesting because you see now, um, if we are having a high yield of um, low quality vegetables, yes, you're getting a lot of vegetables, but you're probably supplementing a lot of your vitamins by taking like multivitamins <laughs> and pills, right? Right. That's, that's really interesting. I, I didn't know that. Um, wow. So what, what's the alternative to using the cover crops then? Is it just um, like artificial um, alternatives, like just putting like nitrogen fertilizers down them? Right. There's that. Um, composting is really great. So mixing compost into topsoil is a pretty quick and easy way to feed the soil if you don't have cover crops. Um, what's cool about microgreens is because they grow so fast, they really only are growing for about two to three weeks at the most. They don't really require an, a big nutrient-dense soil or a special fertilizer blend or anything like that because the seeds will have enough nutrients within those little seeds to get the plant going for the first 14 days, which is so interesting. Mm, that's so interesting. So I have to ask, how could people grow microgreens at home? You talked about the kind of things that they might need, but, but how would they actually set it up? Like what would be the steps to say a family in an apartment? It depends on how much you want to grow if you kind of really want to get into it as a side hustle or a hobby um, you could grab one of those baker's racks and some led lights like the two foot uh, tubular ones and just some 10 by 20 trays with holes in them you can either use soil or something i've been using right now that i like is um, it's a hemp fiber grow mat and so it's just these spent 
fibers from a hemp plant that's been harvested and woven into a, a mat and the, the roots really cling onto it and like it. Um, but you don't really need all of, all of the fancy equipment. You really can, if you have a sunny windowsill, you can grow them there. And all you really need is seeds, a container, water, and a growing medium and some nice scissors. Right. And so what, what does the process actually look like? So, so you, you put your little seeds in and I'm imagining the growing medium is like a, that hemp mat or cotton wool or a little bit of soil or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then what, what, what are people going to see as they start to grow? So what I do is I'll spread the soil or um, water the hemp fiber mat. I'll spread the seeds out really evenly over top of it. And then I'll water them again. And then I'll cover them up and put them in a dark place for a couple of days and I'll check on them, make sure the moisture levels are good. And once I see that the seeds start to germinate, which is basically they crack open and a little root comes out and then um, they'll start to reach for the sky and they'll be yellow. And then once they're moved under, under light or into a windowsill, then they'll start to turn green and get bigger and bigger. Um, and then when you harvest them, you kind of know they're ready when the true leaf starts to form. And the best example I have of that, I don't know if there'll be any pictures uh, with the post or anything, but kale microgreens has like the cutest little baby version of kale that you've ever seen. It's maybe like the size of a pinky nail start to pop up from the plant. So it just looks like the most miniature kale you've ever seen. And then you kind of know that it's ready to harvest. That's so cool. I want to do it just to see those little leaves. <laughs> yeah. They're adorable. And what sort of farming mistakes have you made in the in the last few months or, or even in the scene made in the, the bigger facilities that you've worked at for other people um, that, that you could share with people? Mm. That's a tough one. Um, I actually have some notes. There's nothing wrong with having notes. Yeah. Um, I would, I wrote, I've made a lot of mistakes, but there's a certain level of acceptance that I have for failure. Um, I anticipate failing sometimes or almost always. And I've kind of let go of any expectations I have of, of, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know how to really answer it. I guess everything to me has been a learning process. And so if something doesn't work, I don't feel like I'm failing. I just feel like I'm going into the next round with more knowledge about how to better grow something or how to better build something. Um, yeah, I, I guess I just don't really think of things like mistakes as failures. It's just a learning opportunity for me to be a better grower. I just think that applies to everything in life, right? Yeah, but it's I a hard one a, to learn. <laughs> right, right. I just had an image of you being up on stage with some microgreens just saying, just act more like a farmer. <laughs> Sometimes it won't work. You just learn. Exactly. Maybe it would be be more farmer. That would be the slogan, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, Jonathan, it's your turn. I know you're on mute because the little ones are, are rampaging, but um, I think 
I think it's okay. It was, it's, yeah, it's no, it, it was, it was a, it was a crying baby. I, I know you keep saying it's family friendly, but it, <laughs> as a parent, <laughs> I do not want to hear a screaming child. <laughs> fair play, fair play. I'm, I'm like, no, no, no. Um, so in terms of um the lifestyle, but uh, living as a farmer, um, what what would you say that's like? What what is the living standard like compared to say living in 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 a city? I think it's unfortunate, but it's really hard to make a good living as a farmer unless you start the company and are able to scale it to a size that is profitable for you. Um, Farming is difficult to get into because land access is really challenging these days. Um, The price of land is unbelievable. Um, Even renting land is kind of too much for some people and the startup costs alone are not necessarily astronomical. I started my farm with about $10,000 um, just to get all of the lights and the grow equipment and things like that. But I think what makes it difficult to make a living is the fact that people are very sensitive to the price of food. So when you factor in everything that goes into producing vegetables, um, you can't always necessarily charge what you want to because you have to be sensitive to what the public's willing to pay, which is fine. And I, and I think most people would probably like it if food prices stayed low, even though they're not right now. (laughs) But um, yeah, I think that's like very difficult. That's, it's a challenge that I, I'm navigating right now as I'm thinking about hiring people in the future. And if I'm going to hire somebody, I, I want them to have a good experience and I want to be able to pay a living wage and, and provide health insurance and things like that. But there are so many farms that pay below minimum wage and don't provide any benefits at all. And it's, it's terrible. And I think for that reason alone, there's so many people in this generation that don't want to get into agriculture because it's, it's not the easiest way to make a living by any means. I think the craziest people who get into agriculture really, really love it. And that's kind of the main driving force and they adjust the rest of their life accordingly. I've definitely given up a lot of things that I used to enjoy doing. Like I I don't go out to dinner as much as I used to or travel, but I'm really happy to be trading that in for the opportunity to be able to work for myself which has been a dream that I've had for a really long time. And it it just kind of really shifted my priorities a little bit. I think for most people, if they want to get into agriculture, it would probably make more sense for them to do it as a side hustle. And it's totally possible to do that as a side hustle. Um, you can totally keep your full-time job and sell something that you grow at a farmer's market once a week, you know, from spring to fall, I think that's probably a more realistic path for most people. And I would love to welcome any and everybody into that world if, if they're interested. Um, But doing it full time is very challenging. And, and I talk to my farmer friends all the time. We're all trying to figure it out. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We've recently had a guy called Nathan Ranklin on, right, uh, Jonathan? And, and he was, he was talking about taking control of his weight and, and he was talking about nutrient density in his food. And I wonder if 
the way that you shop for food has changed based on what you've learned about um, density being perhaps more important than, say, weight or volume. Do you think it has? I do. Um, I try to shop at farmer's markets whenever possible. I think I'm, I'm starting my first farmer's market this weekend. And I've worked at farmer's markets before. And the best part of being a farmer at a farmer's market is at the end of the market, you can trade with all the other farmers. And so you have your groceries for the week. Um, for me, it was like at first before I got into this, it was really, I just loved the unique products you could find at a farmer's market because the flavors were so different than what you could get at a grocery store. Um, but then after visiting some of their farms and learning about how their livestock was raised or how they grew vegetables, um, there was just so much more care into it and thought and you don't necessarily get to see that when you go to a grocery store and pick up a pack of bananas. Um, there's really no backstory to it. And um, you can just tell by the way that they grow or raise their products that there is going to be more nutrient density into it because their soil is cared for or they're feeding um, their chickens, you know, leftover vegetable scraps. Like they're, getting nutrient density from their food. So that means when they become food for us, they're going to be more nutrient dense. And there's just more transparency there when you can ask your farmer about that. And sometimes they'll let you come visit the farm and see how it's done. And um, I think that's a really cool rabbit hole to go down. Totally. Yeah. I was just thinking um, in terms of what you were you talking about when you said that you started with, the ten thousand dollars and um you know the starting point of of sort of starting your own your own farm so essentially um it, it gives a good perspective to myself anyway <laughs> um not knowing not knowing a lot about um about farming and and i guess the business side of it and the lifestyle side of it as well um because that bit of insight makes me think now like every sort of farmer or any farmer that I meet is essentially they're running their own sort of small business <laughs> and Absolutely. you're and you're competing against these larger higher yield lower quality sort of situation in terms of like the, the like the these these large retail outlets uh grocery grocery outlets that will you know just ship like tons of different types of vegetables every week um from from those those sort of uh, places where um you were saying earlier that that they, there's no they're, they're always growing crops on the same soil right? right um so a bit of this perspective for me is in terms of sort of small and urban area farming um what are the what are the type of crops or what are the type of things that people can grow at home um, that you would that you would say, okay, the, these will be a lot better. Either grow or purchase locally. If I'm in the inner city, for example, what are the type of vegetables or, or um, that that you would advise that that we pick up? I would say a great place to start is paying attention to what is in season. Mm. Um, we've gotten really used to having everything that we crave available to us every day of the year. And if you go to a farmer's market, that's a pretty quick 
visual way to gather what is in season because the farmers will quite literally bring from, you know, what's from their farm to the market. And, um, you know, that it was grown close by, whereas the grocery store, it's a little bit more challenging to differentiate. Are these grapes from California or are they from two hours away? You know, for example, um, they're not always labeled that way. So a great place to start, I would say, is getting familiar with what's in season and seeking out those seasonal products directly from farmers. Um, what was the rest of the question? Oh, sorry, because it was, it was pretty long <laughs> as well. Um, in terms of um, stuff that, that... So in, in the UK right now, there's a, there's a, um, a bit of a crisis going on. Uh, in terms of the cost of living and and there's some families that are having to make huge compromises that they shouldn't necessarily have to to be fair to to be able to to feed their families or or heat their home there's a lot of talk about um parents missing meals so their children can eat and um things and so forth is 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 pretty bad i think um they were saying that this would be worse than the recession was for us in in the uk the most recent recession um so in terms of um, advice to people who are thinking, you know what, seeds are a lot cheaper than uh... <laughs> in the long run. They may help me out if I can learn how to grow something locally, um, you know, quite nutrient dense and um, quite simple to grow as well, right? And I don't have enough space. Maybe I have a balcony. Yeah. Um, what What are the types of um, uh, produce? That, that you would advise people to, to sort of grow? I would say if you live in an apartment with no balcony and only windows, microgreens are going to be your best option. They're not labor intensive. You don't have to repot them after a while and they have a pretty quick turnaround time. And speaking of seeds, before I forget, uh, here in the United States, we have a program called SNAP. It stands for Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. And I thought it was just to per- like for low-income families to purchase food, but I just found out that you can use that, that money to buy seeds, which is really exciting um, because I think your dollar would go a lot further if you experimented with growing with seeds versus buying something from the grocery store that's already marked up with inflation. Um, so if you did, if you did have a balcony in the city, um, using deep potted plants is a great way to start. You can do, uh, radishes are really easy. Carrots, tomatoes, cucumbers. Um, those are some of the relatively easy, low maintenance plants that you can grow. Beans are always really easy. Plus you can can them. Um, and I don't know if you guys have many of these, but I've been seeing a lot of urban garden rental plots popping up in cities. So if you do experiment with growing in your apartment or on your balcony and you really love it and it's an outlet, it's de-stressing for you and it's also empowering because you're kind of taking control of of feeding yourself and your family, um, looking into renting a little piece of land in an, like a community garden is definitely becoming more and more popular. I know there's wait lists for some of them. Um, you'll get, you know, maybe like a 12 by 12 plot with some raised beds and you can plant whatever you want. And then there's other plots next to you where you can maybe trade with somebody else who's renting. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. In the UK, I think it's called allotments, right, Jonathan? 
Yes, allotments. We've got quite a few in my area as well, um, but they're popping up. They really are popping up because these plots of land would be, um, uh, they would just be, uh, oof, they would be unused. I forgot the name for it. For it. There's a specific name for it, but they'll just yeah. sit there and people, they don't have planning permission to build a house on it. They don't have planning permission to do a lot of things on there. And then eventually people put together and just start building allotments. It's kind of crazy. We've got, I've got one on the end of our road as well. Um, I'm lucky enough to have a garden and uh, I've been thinking about planting some stuff, to be honest. And um, I think your advice, um, Candice, was really helpful. I hadn't, you know, it may sound a bit silly, right? I'm a city boy, city boy. Um, growing tomatoes indoors. I, I may have seen it on TV one, uh, you know, but I thought, ah, oh, that's just TV uh, in a movie. Yeah. But I didn't know you could actually grow it. So if you're in an apartment, you can grow tomatoes. I don't think you could grow them inside unless you have oh. the right place. But, <laughs> you know, if, you have, if you have a sunny balcony, absolutely. Um, oh, okay. Tomatoes love sunlight. And and those are actually kind of hard to start from seed. But I know some grocery stores will sell tiny tomato plants. Um, like hardware stores will. And actually, a lot of farmers will sell. Uh, they call them plant starts. So you'll get a young cucumber or tomato plant. And you can just repot it in a larger plant when you get home. And and you're all set. So you don't even have to use seeds. Um, maybe one tomato plant might be $4. And if, if it's happy, maybe you can get, you know, a couple, like 10, 20 pounds of tomatoes from it. Wow. Oh, Ollie, I'm clearing my windowsill. I'm going to get some. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> our, getting... our kitchen table's been taken over by a flat leaf parsley and a mint. And, uh, the last mint plant or project as my partner likes to call it because I just will not let them die and sometimes it's cold and it's winter and it's over but I will not give up <laughs> and, uh, and, but, and, but what I thought this time is the last one kind of just like covered everything and kind of ended up with really small leaves and and wasn't very edible or useful in the end as a mint plant so this time I've been like picking off the um the tips of the shoots when they go out in the direction that's like not the direction i want them to go in and it's it's actually worked and it's like kind of bushing up in the center right um is that how you kind of train a plant to to maintain the shape that you want yeah absolutely i think um harvesting dead leaves off of plants makes the plant happier because it uses less energy trying to release that part of the plant um, and also just as a person, it's kind of rewarding to see that you kind of did something and then the next day your plant is a little greener and he healthier looking. Um, I don't know why, but it makes me feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. <laughs> I love my plants. Like I deeply yeah. care about them, right? Especially yeah. in lockdown, they and the seagulls in the balcony, they're the only things I saw, right? Right. Yeah. And I'm also learning too with houseplants and, you know, things like that. There's ways to make fertilizers from kitchen scraps. Like I just learned that you can make fertilizer for houseplants with coffee grounds and seltzer water. So, That's so cool. Have you heard yeah. of alfalfa? Alfalfa tea. Um, I've uh, I've I've started drinking that just because it's really it's really potent. Sort of, it's kind of yellow, and that gives you an idea of how many um, vitamins it has. But then I, I was reading somewhere about, you know, the, the benefits of alfalfa tea and, and how in the Middle East, um, alfalfa means the king of plants. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of where the name came from, or at least before it was westernized. And, and then I read that 
but it's actually really good plants. So now I make, I brew up the tea and uh, Hannah laughs at me because she's like, oh, you're making another herbal tea for the plants. And, <laughs> and then I water it down just a little bit and then I feed it to the plants and they love it. Wow, I'm gonna have to try that. That's yeah. so cool. Alfalfa tea. I I only heard about alfalfa from of mice and men, <laughs> and even then, I don't even think I had Google at the time. I was still I was still pretty young when we read that. Um, but yeah, no, that's pretty cool. So you you have a brew, and then you give your plant a brew, and you're both happy. Yeah, Look I, at have that. To, I have I have to admit that now I just brew it for the plants because <laughs> I'm like they need it more than I do. <laughs> Oh, cool, cool. So, Candice, what can what can we do to help support local farmers? <clears throat> sure. The best way to support local farmers is to buy directly from them. Uh, the best way to do that is to sign up for a CSA, which is Community Supported Agriculture. It's catching on in popularity here. It's basically you pay up front for um, a box a week of produce delivered or picked up from a local farm. Um, Giving that money up front really helps the farmer buy all the seeds and supplies that they need for the season. Um, if that's not something feasible for you, maybe you're traveling too much or um, don't want that many vegetables, um, you can just go visit your farmer's market and buy directly from them. Um, with small farms, that's really the way to go because it's difficult for them to get into grocery stores. Uh, so a lot of times they won't even sell into grocery stores if they're a small farm. So um, buying directs the move and yeah, maybe supporting restaurants that also support local farms, which is a little maybe harder to find. But there are some great restaurants out there that do support local farms and don't just say they do. Yeah, we got okay. one just down the street and it's insane how good their vegetables are. They'll do like a, an entree. Wild floor, I love you, and uh, and yeah, it's, just, it's just so simple, right? And they've just got different kinds of radish or different kinds of rocket, and they're so peppery that just one leaf of that uh, and on top of a, like an entree is just amazing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't um, appreciate the uh, the difference in, in the difference in taste from kind of like really good ingredients i mean i did but i didn't if that makes sense you're just used to you know the the what you get in the store this is what a tomato t tastes like but when you have it from another place like you have you know you go to france and you're, you're like why does it taste better right? right um my son at his school they had an open day and um i didn't realize this but due to the pandemic a lot of chefs who were at these like restaurants and hotels have now gone into you know um, schools and things like that so he's 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 living it up having he's he's eating so well they gave a, they gave a few samples of a dip using um ingredients that they grew themselves on the school grounds right wow and i tell you my taste blood it blew my taste buds out of my mouth <laughs> i i can honestly say so you know the local farmers, the local produce, there, there's a local, um, I say local, it's not really local to me, but it's quite a bit away, um, maybe 15 minutes away from me, 15, 20 minutes. I guess that, yeah. Um, Anything I mean, within 200 yeah. miles, yeah. I was going to say, like to an Australian or to an American or a Canadian, that is quite local, dude. Yeah, or even <laughs> yeah. an American, right? If you're an American in the, in the food desert, like 15 minutes, that sounds like, what? You, that's, that's, that's close, that's close. So, um, so yeah, I think I'll be traveling to those to get some ingredients because, uh, yeah. 
because I'm telling you, it is it is it is really amazing. And a lot of the context that you've given us, um, Candice, is so um, eye opening, right? Thank yeah. you. Um, yeah. I'm very happy to hear too that your son has a school garden. I I'm loving that movement, and I'd love to see more of that. Um, I think it's so important to expose kids to the joys of growing food and just you know, have them form positive experiences with growing and eating vegetables and them getting excited about trying like a new vegetable that they help to grow. I think it's something that they can do at a young age that really impacts the way that they eat for the rest of their life. And so that's very cool. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. He used to, uh, my, uh, my mom used to, to, uh, um, grow stuff in her garden and it was like pumpkins and, um, marrows and stuff like that and uh, and carrots and uh my son used to love doing that and he was so happy the first time he picked up a pumpkin that he grew it was probably you know half his size <laughs> but, but he he enjoyed it so yeah i can i can definitely um see that that he actually does eat quite healthy as well which is which is a plus which is always a plus always a plus um ollie i think it's time to move on well, to our sharing is. section right so Yes. So this sharing section is where we get to learn a bit more about you. Um, I'm going to start using the term quick fire round, right? Um, yes. You know, I like, I like it. It's kind of like, uh, we need, we need music and bells at this. At this. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So I usually start off with one of the uh, biggest questions, right? Get it out of the way. Um, the first question is, who do you most look up to in the world? Ooh, I would say that's a tough one. Mm. I would say other women-owned farmers, um, just because it's they're so few and far between. Just to be able to see somebody else like myself doing this and being successful kind of means the world to me. Um, I used to really look up to Anthony Bourdain. I think. Once I read one of his books, that's when I kind of went down the rabbit hole of trying to find my passion and getting involved in my farmer's market. It was just kind of like a light switch, just the way that he talks about food and how it connects people was really inspiring to me. And the world has not been the same without him. Could you give us a title of one of his books, Candace? Sure. The book that I read that kind of changed it all for me was Kitchen Confidential. Ooh, got it. Has nothing to do with farming, but I think the way that he talks about food and and that world was really it sounded really exciting to me. Mm. And food is exciting, right? Yes. The more the more we get involved in it, the more of a rabbit hole it really is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you've talked about some some movements um, that have got you excited. Um, are there any others that you'd like to call out? I quite like foraging, and I know that that's something that your partner um, is involved yeah. in, right? which is super rad. So maybe it's worth just shout out to that and explaining what that is for folks who don't know. Yeah, I think it's really cool to see that people are trying to learn more about indigenous growing practices and trying to find and understand edible plants in the forest. Um, my boyfriend is a certified forager, so I've learned a lot about mushroom hunting and 
edible plants through him. Uh, it's just a really fun thing to do. It's kind of like elevating a hike. Instead of just hiking in the woods, you're actually on a treasure hunt. And so you're looking for different trees and different times of the year, you can find different things and kind of going home and researching what something is that you saw or what you can use it for. And I just, it's like this endless world of really interesting things that um, people are kind of excited about bringing back to the forefront. Um, I think we kind of got away from some of those really crucial indigenous food practices and food forests. And so it's really cool to see that people are becoming interested in, in that again and growing that way again. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I do not understand how indigenous people in Australia, um, the Aboriginal people of different parts of the country, how, how they could survive in like a stony desert, like a, you know, a death Valley type thing. Um, it's incredible, right? And yet they did and they thrived and they were healthy and it's possible. So if they can do it, then we can certainly do it in the woods, right? Yeah, I would think so. Awesome, awesome. Um, what is one thing you'd like to change in the world? I would love to see more young people get into agriculture. It's such an exciting field because unlike the corporate world, like one of the first things that turned me on about agriculture when I was starting my first job is that we were empowered to identify a problem and start implementing solutions right away instead of sitting in several meetings and running it up the corporate ladder and waiting six months for approval. Um, we just had to think on our feet really quickly. And I really like that creative energy that, that comes from having to solve a problem right away instead of, you know, waiting for it. Um, I think agriculture is really interesting because it requires so many different skill sets. Like for me, I'm learning the business side and then the growing side and um, logistics and balancing my budget and so many different skills that you can improve on. And it's never boring. My days go by very, very fast. So if there's one thing I could change in the world, I would love to be able to inspire and influence more young people to consider this career path. And so that's what I'm here for. Good for you. I think that's a noble quest. <laughs> yes, I'm on a noble quest. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is the one thing you would like people to take away from this episode? Um, I just want everyone to know that if you aren't happy sitting at a desk all day and you're, you really aren't sure what it is you would do, even if you didn't have to do that, to just start being curious about the things that make you feel good and make you happy and maybe identify issues that you would love to contribute to. Um, spend some time volunteering there. Um, just really lean into exploring that in your free time because you don't have to sit at a desk all day and you don't have to live that corporate lifestyle. If you want to follow your passions, I think that we need more people in this world who are brave enough to take that leap and um, you can do it. I believe in you. No, that's awesome. That it applies to so many, such a wide range of things. And I think so many people have sat 
not even in an office, but in their home office or on their bed or in the corner of their kitchen over the last couple of years, having these thoughts, right? Yeah. Um, so it's really timely. Um, and how could folks get in touch with you, Candice? Sure. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Valley Mill Microgreens. Um, if you're in the mid-Atlantic region of um, the United States, we are we have a stand two days a week at Central Market in York, Pennsylvania. And uh, you can find our microgreens in a couple of really delicious restaurants in Baltimore City. Um, yeah. My website is still under construction. Another said, skill I'm said learning. Just about, said just about <laughs> every guest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's okay, right? That's totally yeah. okay. I hope that people can come and see you at the farmer's market. I think that's the, that's got to be the best, right? Yeah, um, no, it's the best. Yeah, I love to talk with people. I'm an extrovert, which is, you know, why I went into sales in the first place and just getting to hear, like, what people want to make for dinner and have, suggestions of what microgreens might go well with that it's the best i love it it's so cool and it's so cool that you've seen both sides you know because if you came on as a farmer and you said i've been a farmer my family have been farmers it's all we've ever done then i think some people would think that's a cool idea but i still kind of polish my shoes and go to client meetings and stuff but the fact that you've seen both sides that you've you've been in the corporate world and you've been out of the corporate world and now you're kind of putting the two together doing your own thing in an urban farm i just think that's awesome super inspiring thank you it's really cool so hey thank you so much for being on the show and i'm sure we'll have you back on to talk about um, something related to greens and yeah. and also would just love to to see how you are going in like a year's time and and i have no doubt that things will have transformed and you'll be on to the next stage and and, and wish you all the best with it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate talking to you guys today. Awesome. Thank you, folks, for listening in. And uh, don't forget to subscribe so you can catch the next one. And uh, take care of yourself and look after each other.